BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. Support for Warriors Huddle comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Bram, MT, and I all sport well-maintained beards, so you know we're no stranger to the occasional facial hair trim. I'm only guessing, but I gotta figure that neither one of them are sporting wizards' beards off their junks. Here's the deal. My mom used to be a nurse. One day, when I was about 10 or 11, she told me a story about a patient of hers who walked into a staff meeting and, I sh** you not, in front of everyone, cut his balls clean off. Every time anything remotely sharp gets below my belt, that's the image that pops into my mind. Luckily, I haven't had any serious incidents yet, but it feels like only a matter of time before my crude tools cause some cruel damage. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. So do yourselves a favor and pick up the lawnmower 2.0 to get a precision-engineered tool for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WARRIORS at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Again, get 20% off and free shipping. It's pretty good. With the code WARRIORS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code WARRIORS. You are in the Warriors huddle with me, Bram. No Marcus today, but I'm happy to report that joining me per usual, our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? Hey, oh, and I am fired up to announce that joining us for the first time in an individual capacity, rejoining us from a previous episode right before the year started, the current GSW beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, and a man who I'm at least 99% certain was rooting for the heat when the Warriors played in Miami last week, Mr. Wes Goldberg. What's going on, Wes? I'm very cold. It's in, I'm in Michigan right now, and also you didn't need to be 99% certain. I told you... Point blank, I rooted for the Heat in that game, or I was going to, and I definitely did. It was a great night. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to keep the 1% of me that still really liked you alive. You know, it's unfortunate that we had to kill it so goddamn early, man. Um, West jokes aside, how's life treating you? So I mean, th- the last time we spoke in an official capacity was a prediction pod. It's before the season tipped off. And I mean, we weren't like gushing optimism, but we certainly weren't thinking that the Warriors would be vying for the worst record in the league. So, you know, we, we find you now about a quarter of the way through the year. What's going on with you, man? How's this year unfolding? Well, I mean, 
the only thing I have, you know what, actually, before I give you the only thing I could complain about, I used to listen to beat writers on these shows and radio interviews and stuff like that. They always sounded so tired and worn out and they were like kind of sleepwalking through their interviews and things like that. I was like, they aren't drinking enough coffee and they should be more excited about their job because it's awesome. And then I get into the job and it's awesome. And then it just continues to be awesome. So I feel like I'm still in this honeymoon phase. So you've got me at a good point. Right now, I think in my life, like I haven't gotten weary and just completely worn out from the beat. So I think this is good. I, I feel like maybe it's setting some bad expectations for like when I'm doing this a year from now. But <laughs> this, like the travel's been great. Everything was like the only thing I could complain about to loop it back to, to what I was saying before was that the team just keeps losing. It doesn't like again. The only team I root for is the Miami Heat. The losing, the winning. You want like a good mix of it. It's tough to write about a team that just keeps losing because it's just hard yeah. to find new things to write about all the time. And I think, you know, you've probably seen you're experiencing this on your show is, is like when the team just keeps losing, what do you talk about? You just sort of talk about like what could be right. You can only talk about that for so long. So that's really, I think the struggle of it, but you know, besides that, this is great. Yeah. Has anyone on the team put two and two together and realized that it is in fact you who's cursing the team. And that's why we've been so shitty this year. No, not yet, but I'm not waiting sure. for it. I am. Yeah. There are, I have heard from some people, some other media folks who have called <laughs> me out on that and they've tried <laughs> to give me like, Hey, look, it's not your fault. You're not the jinx. They're like, the evidence is pretty damning for me. <laughs> like I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty guilty. It feels like, um, you know, we're recording this, uh, either right as the tip off of this Charlotte Hornets game. And I'm in Michigan on assignment, so I'm actually mixing the Hornets game. And I just want to tell everybody, like, if it's not too late, put all of your money right now on the Hornets. Because <laughs> me not there, the Warriors are 100% winning that game. <laughs> you know, the next time we do this, man, we'll have you in person and we'll do some kind of, like, exercising podcast. You know what I mean? Like, we'll, like, sacrifice a chicken or something or get some cow blood for you. Yeah. It's something. We, we will get this curse off your back, man. Uh, jokes aside, I mean, I, you know I have been looking forward to having you on this show. You know we loved having you on the first time. And it's your sense of humor that really attracted me to getting you back on. And this next segment is one of the things I was really fired up for. It's the off-the-court report. And I don't remember if you and I have had a chance to do one. So on the off chance, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Here, we're just trying to take advantage of your closeness to the team, right? The things that you get to see that happen outside of the lines. So on this occasion, I'll just shut up and give the mic to you. Any stories, anything that's caught your eye over the last couple of weeks? Well, we actually did do this in the predictions pod, and that's when Connor did the whole uh, Floyd oh. Money Mayweather. Uh, <laughs> Women of the night. Story. That's right. <laughs> Ever since then, uh, I've been kind of keeping my eye out. I'm not, I'm, I'm like completely honest. I've been keeping my eye out for my next off the court story. And nice. I've got to say, I didn't really have one until last night. And uh, it's not anything like as, as ridiculous as, you know, the Money Mayweather story. And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to that episode. But uh, <laughs> last night, I was actually pretty surprised to see at so i'm in michigan for the draymond green uh jersey retirement so i was there last night i was at the arena where it all went down and also at the arena who made the trip was you know steve kerr clay thompson bob myers joe like up and d'angelo russell of all people and we know that d'angelo russell's injured right now but it's right it's still in the middle of their five-game road trip that he's playing for the first time 
tonight in Charlotte. So there's plenty of reason for him not to make the trip, right? Not sure. to add that one extra flight into what is so far the most arduous trip of the season for them. And he made it. And I know he was on social media a little bit, kind of doing his whole Instagram story. Hey, look where I'm at with Draymond Green, the champ, stuff, stuff like that, with greatness, stuff like that. But I actually saw him at the arena and he, he was following Draymond Green as much as he could. Everywhere he went, he was hmm. totally amped up to be there. And let's keep in mind, D'Angelo Russell, he was at Ohio State. Now, he wasn't at Ohio State for four years like, that Draymond, like Draymond Green was. And Ohio State doesn't matter as much as Michigan State does to Draymond Green. But it's still a source of pride for him. That's sure. Like school there. And, and he was completely geeking out over the entire idea. And I just kept thinking, like, Every Warriors fan has been like on the trade machine all year trying to figure out where to move this guy. And it doesn't like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm just like too close to it, but it didn't really seem like he's expecting to get moved. Like he doesn't even know Draymond to really think about it. They just met. They've barely spent any time on the court together. And I was shocked by how excited he was to be there versus a dude like Clay Thompson, who like, I don't know. I think it's the first time he left his house since, since uh, you know, this rehab all started. And he's just, like, bopping around, you know, the arena. Like, people are, like, typical Clay Thompson. Like, he just, like, walking around. Everybody just, as soon as he, he walks by them, everybody just turns their head. I probably heard this whispered more than I did anything else. All, like, all night, I was just like, oh, my God, that's Clay Thompson. Holy crap. Like, people that worked for Michigan State were just like, that's Clay Thompson. I can't believe it. Holy smokes. Like, I'm just like, what? What's the big deal? And he's just popping around like, I don't know what the big deal is, but he's a pro when it comes to taking those photos. Like, he, you know the Clay Thompson face. Somebody like, he's like, hey, selfie, and he just like whips around, really quick smile, and then it's gone in a flash, and then he's gone. He just doesn't even stop and talk. He's just, he's a pro at it. So you got that versus the D'Angelo Russell excitement I thought was a pretty good contrast. I love the read on D'Angelo Russell, and I'll keep it personal. If I was on a team that I thought I was only going to be there for a single season or didn't have any kind of guarantee that I was going to be a part of their long-term plans or their fabric, there is no goddamn way the day before I return from an injury that I'm taking a field trip with teammates. I'm just not going to. I mean, I might, if I'm not coming back the next day, I might do it just for media purposes so people can see me. But given the timing, that really suggests that, you know, that, that's a personality thing. That's a glimpse into how he's viewing his position on this team. I think that's, that's that's a phenomenal observation, Ben. Yeah, and like he was working out with Stephen Curry recently too, and um, I've you know the few times I've spoken to D'Angelo just because you don't get to talk to players when they're injured for the most part. Um, he's kind of gone out of his way to talk about how excited he is to be around Steph and Clay and Draymond. And you can imagine it's probably pretty disappointing that he doesn't get to be around those guys as much as he thought he would be when he signed over the summer. So maybe that's another reason why he decided to go out of his way just to spend a little bit more time with Draymond than he probably has so far this season. Sure. So, you know, that can also be part of it, but that also just goes to show, like, he's trying to, as long as he's here, and I don't think that he's going to be gone as soon as, Warriors, as soon as most Warriors fans tend to think he will be, like, he's trying to soak it all up as much as possible. And, like, he was one of the few Warriors players who were actually on the road trip to actually make the trip to East Lansing. And I think that says a lot, too. It's not, not a detriment to any of the other players who probably are just so – used to like the college grind because they're mostly out of college. Like they're not used to this NBA back to back 82 games sort of grind, but he is, and he managed to get out there. And I think it does say a lot. Is it weird that I'm actually on the trade machine still trying to trade him right now? I mean, you know, I, I love the story, but it, does that, does that cut against it at all? I mean, 
I'd be lying if I weren't trying to figure it out either. Like it's, you know, we're, we're in Orlando, you know, at the beginning, it was Miami and then Orlando. So in Miami, I'm like, well, D'Angelo Russell could make sense for Miami. You pop on the trade machine. What would it, what would it take? We're in Orlando and you know, this team would make sense for D'Angelo Russell. You pop on the trade machine, see what it would take. I mean, that's still part of it. But I just don't think it's going to happen as soon as, or I'm not sure it's going to happen at all, but you know, you got to think about it. I mean, what that illustrates is that nobody has gone to D'Angelo and told him don't get comfortable, which is a very important thing. And I don't mean to throw us down the will D'Angelo get traded during this season rabbit hole, but I will say one of the interesting things that's happened is Andrew Wiggins' resurgence, but we'll save that. Maxime, you and I haven't had a chance to talk about this, but a couple weeks ago, I got a chance to go to my first practice at Chase. Um, and I was, you know, obviously excited for it. Having never been there, I wanted to see what the practice court looked like. So I get there crazy early because I'm hell of neurotic like that, right? And so I walk in, they let me through, and I immediately recognize I have no idea where the press court is at Chase. You know, like like in Oakland, dude, there's just one building. The Marriott's not that big. You go to a certain floor, and the court's right there. They let me in. I've got like an hour and a half to kill, and I start walking around. Can't find it, can't find it. Find myself in an elevator, can't find it. And somewhere between 8 and 20 minutes of not being able to find the goddamn practice court, I decided to just take myself on a personal tour of Chase. So I'm literally walking around each and every floor of the arena. And you can tell it's not supposed to be open to visitors. Like the, the team store's doors are wide open if I wanted to just walk in and take anything I wanted. So it was this really like surreal experience you know I, i'm sure that there was some security guard somewhere watching the screen going where the f is he going now you know like, <laughs> why is he walking into the suites and touching the silverware but it, the the thing i wanted to point out was it is a genuinely beautiful building so if that's great for the warriors chances at success but if we're just looking at this thing as a building in and of itself it's gorgeous i mean th there's no question the the attention to detail that they have put in it is worthy of at least giving it some props now and i was impressed by it but somehow i ultimately find the press conference um go i'm sorry i ultimately find the practice go down there and at the end of the practice, they give up Steve Kerr to the media scrum, and I was finally ballsy enough to ask her a couple questions. In fact, we have uh, sound on that here. A little earlier, you said you felt like the young guys had established a foundation. What do you mean by that? What kind of foundation are you having with so far? Uh, the, the defense early in the season, we were springing leaks left and right, and we, we didn't have an identity. We didn't have... A, pattern that we could count on and I would say over the last two weeks our defense uh, has improved dramatically um, in terms of um, the execution of doing what we're doing and doing it consistently and watching it on tape and seeing that guys are playing together they're on a string they're, they're executing the game plan none of those things were happening a month ago so uh, we're playing together we're, we're more unified we're uh, or more fundamentally sound. Is that just time together? Is that literally just a It's time together, but it's also, uh, you know, we just, I think, figured some things out <clears throat> together, coaches and players watching a lot of film. Um, you know, continuity is such a big deal in this league, and we literally, once we had all the injuries, we literally had zero continuity. Um, so playing, you know, nine guys who had never played together before, and it, it I think it took us... Uh, and, and maybe even longer because we didn't eliminate Steph from the picture until his injury. So, you know, we spent all of training camp doing a lot of the, th the things that we did last year 
and then once Steph got hurt, we had to revamp everything. So uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff on the fly, but over the last couple weeks, it feels like the group has gelled. Um, hopefully that'll start showing up more in terms of wins and, and instead of losses. And Wes, this is where it leads back to you, man. All right, because Wes was right next to me when I was doing those questions for Kurt. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you in is catch your professional opinion, man. So when I dropped those questions, were you secretly thinking those are the greatest questions anyone's ever asked in a media scrum? Absolutely. I was blown away. Uh, I was just shocked. I was almost jealous that I hadn't thought about those questions beforehand. I'm around every day. Tell me the uh, truth. Did you think that a homeless man had somehow broken in there and were you shocked that they allowed me to speak? That Were you thinking about like running over and punching me in the face and not allow me to finish the sentence? No, to be honest, I was actually shocked that you even asked the question. A lot of people would not in that situation. Uh, like it being like <laughs> considering that you didn't know where you were or why you were even there really. I mean, <laughs> like a lot of people would know. I'm serious. Like a lot of people just sort of like chill out at the end of at, you know, around the scrum circle and just sort of listen and try to glean anything that they can whatever it is that they're trying to work on or do. But, you know, you've got like that radio voice, so it kind of comes off as authoritative. So I was really impressed. Has Kerr asked about me since? I mean, has he been kind of looking around, hoping for other questions for me at all, or, or not yet? No, he was wondering why you weren't there for Draymond's thing. He was like, that guy <laughs> seems like he was pretty on the nose. Why isn't he here? And I, I just explained that he didn't, it wasn't in his budget. Yeah, yeah, you didn't tell him that actually they arrested me for walking around Chase Center for no reason, and I will not be allowed to <laughs> licking the silverware, right? <laughs> yes, that's exactly. No, I didn't want to tell him that, in fact, I was touching it with my tongue. I thought that was just between you and I, Wes. It's weird that you shared that it detail. Implied. It, it was. It was absolutely implied. Let's uh, let's move on before I implicate myself any further. A, another one we do on the show, man, is this thing called Give Him the Bag. New segment, and what it does is kind of change this season into this training camp vibe we were talking about earlier, right? The idea is, look, They're not going to the playoffs. They're not winning a championship this year. So what can we pull out of the season? Let's use it as time to scout these new players and figure out who we would want on the squad next year. And the guy I want to talk to you about right now is Kai Bowman. Um, And you wrote this this excellent article um, entitled The Warriors' Biggest Questions After the First Quarter of the Season. And one of the questions that you handled was Kai Bowman. So I know you've already thought this out. And from what I can tell, man, it's a two-headed question. The first one is, should the Warriors consider changing his two-way contract that he currently has now, and what would that require? And then secondly, if you know he's, he's proven that he should be on the real team this year, should they be considering him as a real piece next year? So what do you think, man? Start with the first. I mean, are they thinking about keeping him, and what would that require if, if they did that? They are they're already on thinking about keeping him. They're going to keep him. they just got to figure out how to do it. Um, I'm... I think to me, one of the biggest surprises of the season, I mean, you could look at Eric Pascal as being a huge surprise, but to me, like Kai Bowman's development as a legitimate NBA player is an even bigger surprise than Pascal's development. By the way, what Pascal's doing as a second round pick has literally never been done before in the NBA during modern draft era. Never been done. And yet Bowman went undrafted, wasn't even really supposed to get like any playing time. He's a a two-way contract guy. Like he's literally supposed to be Santa Cruz this season. And for him to be doing playing real NBA minutes, starting some games, and he looks like a legitimate NBA player. I mean, you look at what he is able to do. He can he can handle the ball. He doesn't turn the ball over hardly ever. He defends his butt off, and he can shoot pretty well, and that part of his game is developing. Like He wasn't a, a catch-and-shoot kind of guy at Boston College. He was a driver. 
at Boston College. I mean, he looked up to guys like Derrick Rose and John Wall, for example, and he's <laughs> got a better jump shot right now than both of them ever did. Mm. So I, I, I'm, I'm honestly, if you look at his game and you're like, no, this guy, this guy's got a long-term, like that stuff doesn't go away. He's going to have right. a long-term future in the NBA. Uh, I mean, he kind of reminds me of Fred Van Vliet a little bit where everybody just sort of glosses huh. over his size and, and stuff like that. Whereas it's like, you know, he just kind of got looked over and he's older for a rookie at 22. Like granted that's, that's true, but dude can play like the dude can play. He's going to play in this league for a while. I think whether it's on the warriors or not, and the warriors do want to make sure that it is with them. Um, so yeah, the way they, they do that is either you waive the, the non-guaranteed contract of Marquise Chris, uh, that becomes guaranteed on January 10th, right around when Kai Bowman will use up his 45 days because on these two-way contracts, you're only allotted 45 days to play in the NBA. The rest of that has to be in the G League no matter what. Um, so unless the Warriors can somehow convert that two-way deal into a regular season deal or a regular roster deal, then they're screwed, basically. Um, oh. So you can you can waive Marquise Chris. I don't think they want to do that because Marquise Chris is a, you know, a young 22-year-old player, really athletic, does all the things that Steve Kerr likes out of his big men, which is basically pass, set strong screens, and then just play hard. Um, and he played really well next to Steph Curry, which is kind of the whole point of this thing, is figuring out which play. Whoever's going to get the bag is going to get the bag because they can you know help Steph Curry be better. Sure. Um, so Marquise Chris, I think, is one of those guys. So that's not ideal. You don't want to lose him. The other way you could do it is trade one of these minimum contracts to another team. Um, and another team can absorb a minimum salary and go over the cap to do so. You're allowed to do that when you have a minimum salary. The reason the Warriors can't do that is because they're hard capped. So anything sure. that's not hard capped can just take on minimum salary, no problem. No questions asked. It doesn't matter. The Warriors don't have a ton of minimum salaries, but basically when it comes down to it, it'll probably be Alec Burks, I think, as the most logical trade candidate because he's a guy who can help a contender right now, like a team that's either gunning for a playoff spot or trying to win around in the playoffs. Like Alex Burks, as we're seeing right now, is helpful as a, as a scorer off the bench. So to me, that's the way you get it done, is you trade Alex Burks into cap space. You could probably get a second-round pick back from that team. So now you're acquiring an asset, and you're moving Kai Bowman into a regular roster spot so that he can play in you know, late January and February when you're really going to need him because Steph Curry isn't expected back until March, you know, sure. if at all. So. And if you're bringing back D'Angelo Russell and get that scoring pop from the backcourt, you won't need Alex Burks quite as much. So it would make sense to even him up. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, Alex Burks probably is playing his way out of the contra- out of you know Golden State's price range this season. Like if they don't trade him, the the numbers he's putting up this season, mm. he'll probably have to go somewhere else to get as much money as possible. And you know, good for him. Like it's a good situation for him ultimately, but. If you're the Warriors, you might as well trade them and get something back, especially since you only have one second-round pick within the next exactly seven right. years. You might as well yep. it up. And you're trying to build for next year, so the more assets you have in the cupboard to build towards next year, that makes perfect sense to me. And you know, the, the thing I love about Bowman, and, and you've kind of talked about it, is that very obvious chip on his shoulder. You know, he is playing balls to the wall constantly in a completely lost season. I mean, there is this play against Orlando. It's like towards the end of the third, he goes to the hole against three dudes, misses the shot, falls to the floor, gets the ball back somehow, and then gets up and still hits a three from the corner. And it, it's he's a a bouncing ball of effort everywhere he goes on the floor. And I think there's always a spot like that for dudes on a championship team. It's really underrated how just playing hard can keep you in the NBA, 
right? You just assume that these guys right. just play hard all the time because they're making millions of dollars and whatever. By the way, Kai Bowman is not making millions of dollars. I think he's making like 60 grand right now. Um, and so for him to be doing that, like it, that is such an underrated ability. And it's really kind of what makes a difference for a lot of these French roster players is how hard are they playing? And, and, you know, I've got this, like, I, I know I'm going to, I might let the cat out of the bag here, but I've got a game that I like to play with Kai Bowman and hopefully he doesn't hear this and figure out what I'm doing. Um, so it's not really a game I play with him, but more of a game I play at him, but I'm so excited um, to hear what this is. So in reference to like, you know, how hard he plays and all this stuff, like I noticed pretty quickly that in a lot of his interviews, he would say 94 feet. You know, I like to pick up 94 feet. And I'm like, all right, great. Like, really cool. Like, you know, guard full court. We get it. Like, and he does. He guards full court almost exclusively. It's insane. Um, and I would notice, like, no matter what I would ask him, it would somehow come up that he wants to just guard 94 feet. <laughs> and so I started counting how many times in an interview he would say that. And it was often several. And, and so I start now every time he's in these scrums, which are these post-game scrums, which is also pretty often because, you know, he's playing so well, I will, I will ask a, question, a leading question to try to get him to say it. And it's turned into my sort of private drinking game that I like to play with myself. Um, like uh, after the, at the end of the Atlanta game, I asked him, like, what was it like guarding Trey Young? Was that an especially tough challenge for you? And sure enough, I got a 94 feet. I got a 94 feet quote. Is guarding Trey Young an especially tough challenge? I can tell you what kind of season he's having. I mean, it's the NBA. You can guard. I mean, everybody's going to try to give you their best every night. I mean, going out there, try to do my job, picking up 94. So try to do the best that I can uh, with this guy I'm playing for as uh, defense. <laughs> so this is now my new game that I'm playing, and I want our listeners to be able to also count the amount of times that they hear them say it whenever they're watching these interviews. I love the idea. I'm going to start watching, hopefully, videos of every post-game scrum. I love the idea of watching you ask a question and then you take a shot, you know, and then you go right back. Just getting hammered as the, uh, I, as the interview moves forward. I, I called my shot the other day, like Babe Ruth. I, uh, we, um, the PR official told us that uh, Kai Bowman was on his way out, and I, looked, I look around, I tell Connell Letourneau, who's been on your show, and I tell Kareth Burke, who was standing behind me. I was like, I'm going to get him to say it. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, I, this is, I'm getting a 94 feet. I guarantee it. And then I asked the Trey Young question and I got it. And I just looked around and I just, it was everything I could do not to start laughing. And I love that. Here, here. Did you give Kareth and Connor a drop the mic look, you know, like boom, told you I was definitely going to get that. I actually went back and I was like, Hey, you get that? You see what I just did? <laughs> And uh, they both were completely oblivious to it. They had no idea that it happened, which was a compliment to me because my obvious leading question was not as obvious. So I'm like, oh, wow, that was, that, cause they're like, that was actually an insightful question. We appreciate it. And I was like, well, now the bar has been raised. Here's probably the most important question I'm going to ask you today. Real deal, how much money would I have to pay you for you to have Kai Bowman's hair for a month? Like 5000 you know what I mean? Like 500 Where are you on this? The problem for me is if I try to do that, I'm going to end up looking like 90s era Justin Timberlake with the ramen noodle <laughs> hair. I will probably lose so my So you job. do it for free. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll do it for free. <laughs> oh, I want follow. a number. I'm, I'm not letting you out of this. I want a number. So like, 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 okay, a salary, like 60K, I want an actual number. Yeah, you'd probably, I'd probably do it for – I would do it for 150. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> there you go. Maxime, are you still rocking that hair now or did you finally change it? Oh, no, I, I just pulled out my shaver as we were speaking and began removing that hairstyle because I guess it's not as cool as I was expecting it to be. Yeah, no, it was what it was. And, and you never really pulled off the Justin Timberlake comparison, man. It just, uh, you know, that, that's something only Wes can do. We've got one last segment, Pick Your Poison. It's one I genuinely love, and I'll be transparent with you, Wes. Most of the time, we use this thing to explore warrior-related content. But today, I'm going to use it to get to know you a little bit better. And the concept is equally as simple as all the rest of our segments. In this, I'm going to give you a certain scenario that will lead to a choice, and then I'm going to ask you to make the choice. They're going to be both basketball and non-basketball related. Let's start off the court and start with one that our audience has become fairly familiar with. Bad news, Mr. Goldberg. You find yourself in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. The world is losing its sh- Everyone is turning on one another. There are flesh-eating monsters roaming the streets, and you have to survive for five days before the army or some other government uh, can come in and save you. Good news, though, man. You get to pick an NBA player, past or present, to help you through this shady-ass scenario. Who would you pick? Can I just say that I already – this is my life. I live in the Tenderloin, basically, so I kind of, like, <laughs> do this already. Um, but if I could have a roommate, <laughs> I would pick Udonis Haslam. Why? I just don't think he cares about stuff. Well, first of all, he's got like three giant pit bulls. I think those would be helpful, and I'm assuming that gets to come with him. Yeah, that's and, fair. I'll dogs. And the dude's just like a badass. I, like, I don't know. I just you're asking me this question on the spot, and I'm like, yeah, you don't have him. Like, who? Like, if you're an NBA player, you wouldn't mess with him. So if you're a zombie, I guess like if my if my universe is limited to NBA players, and he's sort of the most not mess withable, then I pick him. You are now Bob Myers. You're watching the team go through the current season. You understand all of his challenges. You know that keeping these guys' uh, mentality afloat is remarkably important, but you also want to make sure that they're well coached. Good news is that you have a time machine and can use it to pick any coach from the history of the league to come in and coach this team this year. Who would you pick? Wow. That's a really good one. Um, I'm going to need you to say that about all the questions, please. Okay. Uh, I think, like, not, like, I don't want to cop out here, but, like, I'm trying to think, like, what it would take. You want, like, a former player who was not a superstar, who uh, knows, you know, has winning experience. Like, it kind of feels like Steve Kerr is almost a really good fit. And that might be why Bob Myers built the roster the way he built it, was because it's a good fit with Steve Kerr, you know, I'm not sure which order they're in, but it, like he would be a good one. I think another one would obviously be like, you know, a guy like Eric Spolstra who's basically doing that in Miami, not to keep giving you heat answers. Um, Greg Popovich has literally done this before, and so that works. Um, I kind of look at John Wooden. I know he's a college guy, but he was always sort of that mentor kind of, you know, this is, you know, the game, like the life is, your life is bigger than the game type of, you know, school that Steve Kerr comes from. Um, but I actually think Steve Kerr's a really, really good fit for this group. I don't know that there would be anybody so compelling that I would just swap out Steve Kerr. Right. I I'd agree with you, man. I mean, if you, if you watch these games, so the Warriors are speeding towards the worst record in the league. And to make it even more unique, they're doing that after five straight trips to the finals. If all the players were walking around with slumped shoulders and kind of a f- – 
this attitude, it would be a thousand percent understandable. You know, I mean, that's just human nature. That's what's up. And that's not what they are at all. Everybody is going balls to the wall in these losses. He's got Draymond Green, former depoy, former champion, for you know, all-star, still diving on the ground for loose balls. The culture that he has created in this locker room on this team is unparalleled, at least from what I've seen. And that might be the most important thing for this year, right? If they're not going after a championship and they've got to get through this kind of transitionary period, what you want is somebody who can keep the you know, locker room afloat. And it looks like Kerr is doing exactly that. Um this is one you and I talked about a little bit at practice. So here, you are Joe Lacob. You are not only Joe Lacob, you are Joe Lacob at his goddamn pinnacle. The Warriors have just won another championship. Chase Center is being built, and you are in the uh, position where you get to decide how much each seat is going to cost for your future season ticket holders. And your choices are you know, binary. You can either... Um, have them cost as much as you can possibly receive back, right? You do some research, you realize what the secondary value is, and you price those seats from a capitalistic view. You charge as much as you possibly can, knowing that you'd uh, you'd make a profit. Or you want to keep the home court advantage, and you price them at a little bit lower to make sure that your fans can still come in, right? In that scenario, what would you do? Would would you make the money, or would you keep the fan base? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, hey, thanks, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, are we talking about, so we're at Joe, Joe Lake up at his peak, but it's this season, like it's what's happening uh, this year, or is this happening during a finals year? No, you know what, I, I realized that I, as I phrased that, I, I didn't even understand the f-ing question. Basically, go back in time, right? Chase Center is built, and they had to decide right after Chase Center was built, how much are we going to charge for these tickets? And at that moment, oh, they, you know, they were come, the, the Warriors were still at the top of the world. And we are now seeing what they decided was they charged the height of the secondary market. They charged as much as they could, and they're still making money back. But we're also seeing the effect of that, right? The home court advantage is down a little bit. And I, from what I can tell, it's a personality-driven decision because there's nothing wrong with what Lacob did. He's entitled to do it. He owns a damn building. But for you guys, yeah. what would you have done? It kind of feels like there should be some sort of regulation at some point, not to just, you know, throw regulation on the top of everything and make that the answer, but shouldn't they, like, I feel like it should be somewhat something more than just putting nosebleed seats in every stadium and arena and just making like the worst seats, the most, the cheapest. And I know that like capitalism basically is the reason that sports exists. And I get that. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I think having the place in Oakland did matter. Right. And I think when you moved it to San Francisco, it was going to lose some of that Oakland part of it, that openness yep. part of it. Uh, I don't know how many people just because the tickets were cheaper than they are currently in reality would have made the trip from Oakland to San Francisco to see it. It's it's first of all, it's a nightmare to get to the arena as, as beautiful as the arena is. It is an absolute nightmare. And I had to pick up an Uber and a Lyft from the, the arena the other day. And that was a nightmare too. And it's, just, it's a tough spot to get to. So, I don't even know how much the tickets would have been different, but I just like, I kind of want to make this bigger. Like there should be a part of the lower bowl where it's just like, it's a first come first serve basis, but they're cheap. Like you get, yep. and maybe, yep. look, maybe there's a spot behind the basket, you know, or something like that, but it's something right. As opposed to like these, everything just dry, like these seat licenses and all this stuff, just driving all the stuff up or like the standing room only, you know, bullshit that kind of sucks. Yep. Like, there's got to be something more 
to it where somebody can actually affect the game. Because the problem with the standing room only, and they've got like this cantina bar area thing at, at Oracle, like or not at Oracle, Chase Center. Yeah. And it's like, that's great. Like You can buy a standing room only ticket and go there, but you can't affect the game the way that the fans Exactly right. Yep. That doesn't matter. So get somebody close to the floor that actually cares, that isn't just there to, you know, rub shoulders and elbows with you know twitter and google executives like no it's like get somebody there that actually wants to see the game because i'm telling you i walk around that that lower ball just to get to my which is really in the upper bowl and i'm walking by the people who are down there they don't seem totally psyched to get there they're just more concerned about getting their you know filet mignon or whatever from the the service or whatever it is like it doesn't like it just doesn't strike you as a home court advantage and i think it would serve a guy like Joe Lake up in a situation to incorporate more of that because I think ultimately that drives, I don't know if it drives winning, but it drives the atmosphere and it makes more people want to be there because nobody wants to be like the one dude in the lower bowl who's cheering. Like you want to create like a, a fun atmosphere and that's a way to do it more than just putting a thousand like things that are called portals in Chase Center and Absolutely. You know, TVs on every concourse. Dude, I've been the one guy in the lower bowl cheering. I can confirm you do not want to be that guy. Everybody looks at you immediately. And what I love about your response is that it addresses like the thing that that upsets me the most about Chase Center. It addresses that they probably also should have focused on bringing in a passionate fan. When they first built this thing, they described it as a cathedral to basketball. And I love that term. And they thought about all these things, what that would mean, right? They thought about sight lines. They thought about acoustics. They thought about the food you would want. They thought about the experience outside of the arena. They thought about our ability to eat and drink and all these other things. Well, one of the things I wish they had thought about is passionate fan. How do we get the passionate fan in there? How do you create a home court advantage that existed across the bay? And what you just pointed out, Wes, and what I love is that it's not as easy as you don't, they don't have to be a binary choice. It doesn't have to be just that either you charge way too much or you charge far too little to bring people in. Maybe you can be creative. Maybe you have some sections where you bring them in. But the thing that has upset me so far about this decision and the, the, the cost of these ticket prices is right now it's a cathedral to capitalism, not to basketball, because we gave up one of the greatest home court advantages that has ever existed in any sport. And I wish that we could bring it back. I digress. And I'm going to give you our last question because I know I'm holding you too long. This one, man, you not only have a time machine. You also have the ability to make anybody who uh, hears your question answer that question honestly. So you can pick anybody from the NBA in any era, and you can ask them any question you want, and they have to answer that question honestly. To give you a sense, what my question was is I'd ask David Stern if he actually froze the Patrick Ewing draft envelope on, uh, on that draft day. But for you, what would you ask? That's a very good question. Um, probably back to Stern here because, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff. I want to figure out why MJ got retired for – got Let's retired. Bingo, exactly. I kind of want to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Wes, thank you, man. Um, I am positive. So I, you, you are – my uh, my new favorite beat writer out there. I've been catching your work as it comes out. I am sure that there are other people after listening to some of your takes today would like more Goldberg in their life. If I'm right about that, where should they turn? Uh, follow me on Twitter at C Goldberg or you know, go to the Mercury News website, go to the sports section, find the Warrior stuff. You'll see my byline there. 
Um, follow me on Instagram at WC Goldberg. I'm there every once in a while too, posting stuff from these, from you know, the Draymond Green retirement ceremonies in these games. So uh, those are the best places. Yeah, exactly right. Well, we appreciate you, man. Go enjoy your evening. Hopefully, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you having me. Good, good.